Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. On this beautiful 7th of July from our home here in beautiful McKinney, Texas. We've had such a beautiful summer so far, and we have so much to be thankful for before the living Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit. Just thanks be to God for bringing us all here this morning, and all those that can be listening online from all over the world or wherever you're at, I welcome you and join you to Gospel Saving Church, whether you're on SoundCloud or you're on GospelSavingChurch.com, more than welcome to come visit us. Wherever you are, we live uh, in McKinney, Texas, that's where our home is and that's where the church is as well. Our website has directions to the church if you're interested in coming and visiting us. We thank you and welcome all. So uh, if you guys will join me in a word of prayer to thank the Lord and ask for his blessings upon this service and upon my teaching. Because the good Lord knows that I need it. I need all the help I can get. So let's pray and let's thank the Lord for him bringing us here and let's ask him to bless the service. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful time we get to gather together, Lord, and we get to hear your word. And Lord, we get to just soak in what your word means, Lord. Not that, Lord, your word said in the Old Testament that they brought together at one point the scribes and the teachers of the law and they stood from morning until night, Lord, and they gave your word and they gave the interpretation of your word. And Lord, I just thank today, Lord, that we can sit here before you today and Lord, you have given me the interpretation of your word, Lord God. You've given me the the wisdom to translate your word, Lord God, to not only just read the verses, the four or five verses, the five verses we're going to read today, Lord God, but that you'd also give me wisdom to have life application to them, Lord God, and, and what they mean to us, Lord, and some interesting little details that I see in your word, Lord. I pray that you would bless this teaching. pray you bless our hearts and prepare our hearts, Lord God, as we are ready to hear your word, that we wouldn't just be hearers only, but that we'd be doers of your word. And Lord, I just pray that you'd anoint the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, the words that are in your Bible, to touch the hearts of people all over the world, Lord God, whoever listens to this. And Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We ask that you keep out distractions of Satan, keep the enemy out, and Lord, just help us all to concentrate, Lord, and not be distracted, as that's the enemy's biggest tactic, Lord. Just distract us. And then we're just, once we're distracted, we lose what you're saying to us, Lord. Help us to stay attentive and focused, what you're saying to us today. We love you and we praise you, and we ask all these things in the mighty and powerful and precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the title of our service today, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Say it again. We have it actually. It's in our verse 13 of our Matthew chapter 9 today. That's where we'll be. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And on the back half of verse 13, Jesus says, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that is our title of today's message. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Let's read them. And then we'll get into understanding the word. Chapter 9, verse 9. The word says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he, Matthew, arose and followed him, or Jesus. 
Now it happened, as Jesus said at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, What does your teacher eat? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those that are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus gets done with an amazing miracle that we read about in Matthew 9, 8. I'll read it again. And then he gets done with this amazing miracle. He does in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And in verse 8 we read, now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. And we talked about last week about how that's rejection. They really rejected Jesus and who he said that he was. And what that he had just said that he had done and why he did it so that we would know that he's God and God's son and God in the flesh. And we talked about that. But this week, we really read a new type of rejection. It's not labeled rejection, you know, you'd say it's not really called that, but what it's really called is just not being interested. The people were just not interested. Ask you a question. Ask yourselves a question right now. If you would have seen the miracle that Jesus just did, not only forgiven the man of his sins, last week we read about that, but also then telling the lame man to stand up and walk. And then the guy stands up and he starts walking. Let me ask you, would you or would you not come to him after the fact and be like, Jesus, how did you do that? I got to know more. Wow, that was amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow, that, that had to be the hand of God. Can you can you? Tell us about what you're doing or tell us about your ministry. I, I want to follow you or, or would you or would you not come to him and say that? Because I can tell you, I, I would. I would have jumped on his coattails and I'd have been, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. But guess what? They didn't. It, the scripture says, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, they just basically didn't even give any credit to him. They just gave the credit to God for doing it, which is what we should do anyway. But then they said, who had given such power to men. So they never really acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ. They never acknowledged that he was who he said he was. They never acknowledged it. They never even questioned him about it. They just let him go. So what happens? 9-9, nine, nine, as Jesus passed on from there. See? He just... Moved on. This new form of rejection is called just not being interested. God knows and is looking for all those that are really interested in him. And we know that if they were interested, that he would have stopped, he would have spent some time there, and he would have talked with them. And we know that by Mark 4, listen here, we have the parable of the sower where we know that anybody that was interested in Jesus, when they came to him, he stopped and he gave the explanation. In, in Mark 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, 
And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea. And the whole multitude, keep notice of that word, the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. And then he taught them the parable of the sower and the seed. Which so after they were done, Jesus got up, went with his disciples, and moved on. So now we go down to Mark 4.10 after the teaching of the parable and the sower and the seed. And we read this. But when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And then he says a little bit about those that, you know, didn't want to listen or whatever and didn't want to pay attention to him and didn't want to spend time learning about him. He said, you know, some things about them. And then he gave them the meaning of the parable. But notice the word multitude is gone. Now, the multitude heard that great teaching about Jesus that he gave. And what did they do? They just disbanded or when are you going to feed us next or whatever they did. They just, But they just didn't keep following. They didn't keep being interested in him. They just pushed on. They didn't do anything. But then when he was alone, he gave the understanding to those that were interested in his teaching. And Jesus is famous for that. As I said earlier, God is looking for those that are interested in him. He still is showing people all kinds of miracles to this day. He's still doing awesome, amazing things in people's lives. You ever wonder how your heart just continues to beat in your chest? That's just a miracle, or is that just kind of just kind of what happens? Do you plug yourself in at night, or how do you get recharged? How do you have the energy to move on the next day? How do all the planets just perfectly align and just sit there in the in the in the, in the skies and just keep going on and on and on and on? And on? Well, that just must just be the way it is. What gives them the power? What gives them the the ability to keep doing this? So God's still showing amazing miracle, miraculous things to people nowadays. But simply, just like when Jesus went on the earth, and we see in verse nine that they were just not interested, we still have people like that today. So now that we saw the miracle that Jesus did and the people that weren't interested, what did Jesus do? So what was his response to the people not being interested? He says, verse 9, he passed on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. So what did he do? He moved on and he kept fishing. He didn't stop because people weren't interested in him. He didn't give up. He kept fishing. Remember in Matthew 4, 18 and 19, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And he, uh, they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here we see Jesus here as the ultimate, and still is to this day, by the way, the ultimate fisher of of men. So what happens as he moves on and he keeps fishing? He finds a man that was interested. And his name was Matthew. Interesting side note to our scripture today. You know, it doesn't really have much to do with, you know, what the scripture means or anything. But yes, if you're asking yourself, this is the Matthew that wrote this gospel. Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 9. This is the Matthew, the ex-text collector that started following Jesus that wrote this gospel. Now, before you start thinking in your minds, wait a minute now, wait a minute. 
boy, this guy must be prideful. How is it that, you know, yeah, he writes the gospel, and yeah, he's got to put his account in there. Yeah, he's got to... He's got to write about himself in there. Oh boy, yeah, he was prideful, all right. Before you start thinking that, that's actually not true because both Mark and Luke have the same exact account, almost word for word. We have Mark 5.27, and we've got Luke as well, too, speaking about 5.27 and Mark 5, excuse me. We have both Mark 2. 13 through 17, and Luke 5, 27 through 32, that mention this account. And they give the same exact account of this exact thing of Matthew's calling, except for they do one thing, one thing only. They change Matthew's name to his original Hebrew name, which was Levi. So back to our interested man named Matthew. We're going to examine some amazing and awesome points about Matthew in the next little bit here, probably going to take up the majority of the sermon. We have two huge things to read about about Matthew here. First one we notice, verse 9, it comes out of verse 9 again. And we read 9 again. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. And here's the key, here's the huge point. Sitting at the tax office. That is huge for two reasons Two huge reasons. Why do we say Matthew was sitting at a tax office is a huge reason that we see this in this scripture. Why is there a huge point here? Well, this section doesn't say it, but in Luke 5.27, we read the same account where Luke changed just by a hair. And he says, after these things, he went out, speaking of Jesus, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. So what do we read there? We read that Matthew was only sitting at this tax office. Because he was a tax collector. Although, like I said, this section of scripture doesn't say it right here. Why else would a man be sitting at a tax office? Other than, like Luke 5.27 said, he was collecting taxes. Matthew was a tax collector. Why is this such a big deal? Well, remember we talked, we just mentioned Matthew 4. We talked about James and John and Peter and Andrew's brother being called and about how they were fishermen and how we talked. Remember that scripture we studied uh, months ago now about how Jesus calling Matthew, Jesus calling James and John and, and Peter and Andrew. It wasn't the best selection because these guys were fishers, you know, and the fishermen, they stank and they were the, you know, lower middle class of society and the people didn't really, plus they were Galileans and Galileans were known for like their kind of like city people here in Dallas. We have these, you know, city people, people live in a city kind of street people really aren't really that highly regarded. Well, that was kind of who Jesus spoke about there, how he called, you know, Simon and Peter and Andrew and James and John and so on and so forth. Well, here we have him calling a tax collector. And in case you didn't know, maybe you all do, but tax collectors were some of the most hated people of Jesus' day. They were the most hated people of Jesus' day. Why were they so hated? Well, the way that they really made their money by, was by t- collecting taxes. Number one, most of them or a lot of them were Jewish people. Well, who did they collect taxes for? The Jewish nation? Not really. 
They collected taxes for the hated Roman government. They collected taxes for Caesar. And in case you didn't know, Jews didn't actually like to be underneath the rule of Caesar and Rome. They actually hated it. And so any Jew that would go collect taxes for them was complete betrayal. And the way that they made their money was by collecting over the amount that the government needed. So let's say the government said, I need a dollar from every person. Well, if they collected a dollar fifty, they got to live off the extra that they didn't give the government. And nobody could stop them because that's just how the Roman government was. They just That's what they did. And that's what they allowed. So what was really Matthew in essence? He was Judas. He was a betrayer of his people. What do we call that today? We call it a traitor. Matthew was a traitor to his own race of people. Where do we know that? How do, or how do we see that? Where do we know it? Go down to verse 11, Matthew chapter 9. We read it, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does this teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So that's how the religious leaders looked at tax collectors of the day. They, they regarded them as, as just like sinners. They were no different than sinners. And then we have an account in Luke 19, 1-7, where it says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought how he might see Jesus, but but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short he was of short stature, so he was a short man. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was coming to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down from there today, for I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him with joy. Verse 7, but here's the key. But when they, most likely the Pharisees, just like we saw today, how they were always watching Jesus and they were always watching his ministry. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. So why did they call this man a sinner? Because they hated tax collectors. He was a traitor. How dare you as a Jew? We don't like Rome being over us. How dare you as a Jew go and collect taxes for the Roman Empire? We hate the Roman Empire. We want to rebel. How dare you go and you collect taxes for the hated Roman Empire? And yet, bad enough that it was that Jesus called fishermen to be his disciples. But now he called a traitor, hated, tax collector, sinner, to be one of his disciples, to call, to call out to him and to say, hey, come and follow me. Even bigger subpoint to Matthew being a tax collector is this. To Jesus, it didn't matter that Matthew was, the way I just described him, a hated, sinner, tax collector. It didn't matter to Jesus at all. Jesus said in verse 9, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. So I'd like to say today, this very day, July 7, 2013, that anybody that's listening to this at all, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm such a sinner. I'm so evil. All the things I've done in my life, and yeah, I'm hearing this message, but Jesus would never accept me. Well, Jesus is saying right here, if he could, if as he calls Matthew a traitor to the Jewish people, a hated man, a considered a terrible sinner by his own Jewish people, if Jesus called him 
then he can certainly have a place for you. In Jesus' eyes, there's hope for everyone and anyone that will come to him and say, I want to follow you. I want to know you. There's room for everybody and anybody that will just come. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here Jesus extends his hand of love and acceptance to someone who was unaccepted and betray and, and had betrayed his people and was cast out before his own people. Jesus extended his hand of love and acceptance to this man that was not accepted and that was hated. And the better part about it, Jesus didn't even think twice about what he did. He just walked by, saw Matthew, must have seen that he was interested, must have seen Matthew looking on, because you know, we, we remember last week, we remember that he read men's thoughts. So Matthew must have been thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like getting out of this life and following that great teacher. Wow, he's something. And so what does Jesus do? He doesn't think twice, and he calls the wicked sinner Matthew. And says, come, follow me. I think that's why, in fact, we have a, call, a song called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Because if Jesus' love is not amazing to you, how he calls wicked, betrayer-like sinners to come to his side, boy, there's something wrong. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. So the first point is huge. The first point is amazing. We see the love of God. We see Christ calling out to this wretched sinner. The second point made my head spin as God showed it to me. And the second point is this. Catch this now. I don't, I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Verse 9 again. He saw a man named Matthew, and he was sitting at the tax office. Did you catch that? That's, that's the second huge point. But you're like, wait a minute, Ed. You just already talked on that Matthew was sitting at the tax office. And yeah, we know he's a sinner. And yeah, 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 he's a, he's a, he's a hated guy and he was a betrayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you mean there's a second point here? Yes, there's a second point that is in that Matthew was sitting at the tax office. But what is it? Here it is. Listen carefully. Jesus didn't wait until Matthew got all cleaned up. Jesus didn't wait until Matthew came and went and got to become a really religious guy and he started going to church and he started getting down on his knees and really crying out to God. Jesus called him right where he was. Jesus called him right in the midst of him practicing his sinful lifestyle. Matthew was sitting there, and, and before Jesus walked along, he was collecting taxes from people, ripping people off. Right in the midst of what he was doing. And while he was in the midst of doing that, Jesus said, come, follow me. And what did he do? Verse 9, he followed him. Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Who can save themselves? 
Who in this world is not a sinner? Eh. Zero. Nobody. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Who can save theirs? Who can save themselves? Nobody. But the Bible says that God can save anybody. That God is salvation. But we still have a part. Well, what is our part? If God saves us and He does all the salvation and He saves us, what is our part? Well, what did we see in Matthew here? Chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus called out to him. What was Matthew's part? Matthew had to follow him. We still to this day, we have to choose to follow Christ, just like Matthew did here. You see, God puts his offer of salvation relationship out there, and we cannot work for it, but we have to turn to him and receive it and accept it. What do we call that biblically? 2 Peter 3.9 God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That word is called repentance. That's the act of seeing that you're on the wrong path, knowing that God is there, and stopping just like Matthew did. What was Matthew, What did Matthew have to do to accept the calling of Christ? He had to walk away and turn his back on the sinful lifestyle of collecting taxes for the Roman government. He had to repent. Jesus called. Matthew said, I need to turn away from this wicked lifestyle. I'm repenting. I'm turning to Christ. And I'm coming and I'm going to follow you. In my life, thanks be to God, about 14 years ago, God was calling me. And I knew it. And I knew he loved me. And I started examining him. But as I was examining Jesus, I was still in the mess of sin that I was in in life. I still was hating people. I still hated myself. I was still cheating people. I was still doing all the wrong things. But the day that I called in the name of the Lord, He saved me. God saved me, and then guess what? Then I turned away from my wicked lifestyle, and I started following Jesus, just like Matthew did here to this day. Yeah when we read here in Matthew chapter 9. What do I still see today outside of my life? I see that God has called me to a ministry down here in downtown Dallas, and we call it Christ of the Streets. It's called our ministry. It's our ministry thing. We do. And we're called down to a street called Harry Hines and Walnut Hill, where God has sent us for years and years and years. So what do we do there off of Harry Hines and Walnut Hill? We go and reach the people that are right there in their mess of sin right now. And we tell them that God loves them and God wants to save them, but that they must repent. They must turn away from their lifestyles and they must choose to follow Christ and not do the wickedness that they do and the evil that they do right now. They must turn away from self and turn to Christ. And we still go to this very day in time right now. We will go next Friday night and we'll preach the gospel to people that are in a mess of sin just like Matthew was here today. So God hasn't changed. God is still God is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. God doesn't change, Jesus doesn't change. Jesus still calls sinners right where they are. So don't you think, sinner, if you're listening to this message and you know you're not right with God, i got to clean myself up first. You just got to seek God. That's what the Bible says. You just got to seek God. 
you got to seek him and put your face toward him and you got to let him know you're interested in him. Just like Matthew did here. He let Jesus know, I'm interested in you. And what did Jesus do after he knew that Matthew was interested in him? Come, follow me, Matthew. And all Matthew had to do was get up and start following Jesus and turn away from that sinful lifestyle. Praise be to God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen. God's love is amazing. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet still sinners. While we were still in our sin in total rebellion toward God. Jesus came and paid the death penalty on the cross. So that not one person, if they wanted to, would have to die and go to hell forever. They could all turn away from wicked self, turn away from self as a sinner, and turn to Christ. So what does Jesus' hand of kindness and salvation to Matthew do? Number one, leads Matthew to him. God calls him out of his sinfulness and says, come follow me. His love and kindness drew Matthew to him. But what else did it do? Verse 10. Verse 10, let's read it. Now it happened as Jesus was at the table in that house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So what else did it do is Jesus' hand of loving kindness and grace. What did it do? Not only drew Matthew to himself, but it also drew other sinners and tax collectors to Jesus himself. And the Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4 that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. That is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That is awesome. Just as a side note, there are people that would say today, well, look at what Jesus did here. Well, you know what I could do? They use the Bible in their favor to sin, and they say, well, because Jesus went after tax collectors and sinners, so can I. And then they use it in the wrong way, and they say, I can go into the sinner. I can go to the one that's lost and doesn't know God, and I can partake of their sin, because after all, if I'm with them and committing the sin that they're committing, then I'm going to win them for Christ, because, you know, the Bible says, you know, I could become all all things to all men so I can win the sum. But let's look at how Jesus did here so we can know how Jesus did it, notice how Jesus did it, and that we can we can copy that. Notice here, Jesus went to where sinners were true. Yes, he did. He went to where the sinner was true. But notice what he did. Big key. He called Matthew out of the sin called Matthew to himself. Jesus didn't walk up to the tax booth, sit down and start collecting taxes, and oh, hey, Matthew, I'm the Messiah. Would you follow me? No, absolutely not. Jesus called Matthew out of the sin. There is a way to reach the people that need Jesus, and there's a way not to, re to reach the people for Jesus. And the way to do it is always to copy what Jesus did. Then after that, Jesus basically went to a place with Matthew to get something to eat to probably talk about salvation. 
And what happened was people saw and people were drawn. But how could this man? How? So for the Pharisee, the Pharisees were drawn against him. But the sinner, the sinner and the tax collector was drawn to him because of his hand of loving grace and kindness. So they were drawn to, well, how could Jesus call this Matthew? <gasps> how dare he? Oh my gosh. Oh, I, I just don't know what to think about. Is there hope for me too? <gasps> you had to be thinking that was going through other tax collectors and sinners' minds. Is, could he save me too? Is there room for me in, his, in what he's doing? I mean, I know who I am, but look what he did to Matthew. He just called him. And Matthew's hated. He's, he's a sinner. He's a tax collector. Oh my gosh. So Paul follows Christ in what he says here in Ephesians, excuse me, 5, 8 through 12. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. The wrong way? Yeah, I'll go down to Harry Hines and I'll go down to Walnut Hill and I'll go down to the strip clubs and I'll go down to all those places. And yeah, I'll do that. But I'm going to go inside the places of sexual immorality. Yeah, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to go into the clubs. And then, you know, I want, I want the sinner to feel comfortable. So, hey, bartender, give me a beer. Hey, uh, bartender, give me a whiskey. Hey, brother, what's going on? Can I tell you about Jesus? The Bible says no. Absolutely not. Paul does write in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. But nowhere there did he say that he goes to the sinner to commit the sin of the sinner in order to reach the sinner. So if you want to do something for God and you think, well, I need to go down there and I want to start telling people about Jesus. I want to reach them right where they are. The Bible says don't go and be a partaker of what they do in order to reach them. The Bible says go and be available to them and be light to them. Don't even, in fact, the Bible says there, what we read about in Paul, don't even partake, don't even talk about the things that they do. And if the Bible said that Paul said, don't even talk about the things that they do. If God says, don't even talk about wickedness and unrighteousness and the things that are supposed to how would God want you to go and do the things of wickedness and evil in order to reach the sinner? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely not. Anyway, enough said. Moving on to verse 11. Let's read it. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So what was the response of the text? What was the response of the Pharisees? They were just so excited about Jesus. They were just, all oh, right, he's winning sinners for the kingdom of God. He's winning. Eh. They were against him. They were against Jesus working to draw lost people to the kingdom of God. These were people that were supposed to be the leaders of Israel. These were people that were supposed to be the ones that were the teachers of the word. These were the people that were supposed to be representing God's heart. People. 
And what did they do? They were flat out and out and right against the things and the methods that Jesus was using to reach the lost for Christ. I know this would shock you. You think, I, I'm not going to believe this when you tell me this, but I'm going to tell you something. In, my, in the, my days as a minister for the Lord, for years going out and minister for, for, ministering for the Lord Jesus, I've actually had people, good, well-meaning Christians, that have chastised me for the way that I've gone out to reach the lost for Christ. I've had people tell me anywhere from, you do street evangelism? How dare you walk the streets and, and talk to people? That would offend me. That's not the, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. We, we're, we, you know, we have other ways to do it. We don't go out there. I know, and I've been told, if you approached me on the street and started talking to me about Jesus, I'd tell you to get out of my face. And this was somebody that called himself a Christian. I've had people tell me, I've had people tell others that told me that even going down to a place where there's prostitution, where there's sexual immorality, where there's drunkenness, where there's alcoholism, where there's drug abuse, I've had people say to others about me that I'm wrong. Even to go down there to talk to those people about Jesus Christ. Yet even though we have Jesus' example here, not only one, of street evangelism. We had Jesus just moving on and passing on. And he sees a guy and he says, Hey, let's talk. Come on, follow me. That's street evangelism, folks. And here we also have Jesus calling out, walking into a place. He had to walk the way where the tax booth was, folks. He wasn't walking along the seashore where there were only people fishing and boating and funning in the sun and he walked purposely toward the tax booth. So you could say that Jesus in this section went down to an area of wherever he was, the city that he was in, reaching out to the sinners and tax collectors that were there. So Jesus would go to a place like Harry Hines or Walnut Hill. Jesus would go to a place where there's lots of sexual immorality. He would go to a place where there's lots of sin. He would go to a place that there's lots of sinners lost. He would go to a place where there's drug addictions and prostitution and sexual morality. And what would he do? He'd call the sinners and call them to himself, just like he did here. God is the same yesterday, God is the same today, and God is the same tomorrow. And the example that he gives us in Scripture today is exactly the one that people should be following here. Now, is street evangelism the only way to call out to people and reach them for Christ? Absolutely not. God's got to call you to do it. If that's not God's calling on your life, that's not God's calling on your life. But don't you ever, dare ever, Christian, condemn another brother or sister in Christ for going out to a place where there's all wickedness. Because that's exactly what Jesus did here. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that terrible? Moving on. So Jesus, Jesus replies to his critics in verses 12 and 13. And the way he replies to them will be the same way that I have or I will reply to any critics in my day that'll tell me, Ed, you're wrong for going down to a place where there's a whole bunch of wickedness and evil. Let's read verses 12 and 13. Let's see what Jesus says to these people that are against his methods for reaching the lost for Christ. After my sip of water, excuse me. I'm back. Verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Hey, that's the name of the title of our sermon today. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice verse 12, first thing we see. Jesus calls himself a physician. And he relates that physicianary work to those that are sick. And we know that the context of this scripture is tax collectors and sinners. What are they sick with? They're sick with sin. They're sick with corruption of the flesh. They're sick with evil. So Jesus went out to reach him. People were bashing him for what he's doing. So guess what? Look at verse 12 a little bit more in depth. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those that are sick. Well, Romans 3.23 tells me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And since sin and sickness are related to one here, what do we read? What do we understand by Romans 3.23? Is that here Jesus says that he didn't... We have the, the well, which the people that think they're well, really, and those, I didn't come for them, but those who know that they're sick, because due to Romans 3.23, we know that all people are sick. Was Jesus confused? Are, were there well in his days and he just didn't come for them? No. Those that think they're well. I didn't come for those that think that they're well. I came for those that know that they're sick. Pride blinds many who are sick, making them, they, making them believe that they are righteous. But I say, ha-ha to that. Because we read in Romans 3.10, God says that there are none righteous. No, not one. So there's not one man or woman or child on the face of the planet that's righteous in God's eyes. No, not one. Verse 13, But go your way and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, wait a minute. Isaiah 64, 6 says that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God. All men's righteousnesses, and I know this verse in Isaiah 64 doesn't say this, but Romans 3.23, and we put them all together, we know that all the righteousnesses of all the mankind on all the planet Earth that have ever walked, that are walking and that will walk, are as filthy rags before God because there's nothing you can do as far as works go to say, make God go, oh, that's my, oh, he's so righteous of a servant. Oh my goodness, he's such a righteous guy because there's none righteous, Romans 3.10, no, not one. Those that believe they are righteous are simply wrong. They're simply wrong. So, there's none that are well, and there's none that are righteous. Jesus is, I'll reiterate it again, only telling those that realize that they're sinners and they're wrong before God's eyes. I'm here for you. Because if you think you're righteous, folks, and you're out there right now, you think, I'm, I'm a righteous guy. I've done pretty good works. I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a righteous guy. We'll, we'll address that in a minute. Jesus didn't come for you then. 
So I guess you're going to stand before God on your own righteous works and try to get to heaven because Jesus said, here, I, I didn't come for those who are well, or I didn't come for the righteous. So I guess then, since he didn't come for you that you think you're so righteous, I guess you'll just have to stand before God someday and find out, oh, I'm righteous, and find out where that righteousness gets you as you stand before God when you die. Wow, that's a scary thought. That's a scary thought. So in closing, we opened up our sermon today with another aspect of rejection called just not being interested. What I would like everyone listening to ask themselves, do I show Jesus that I am interested in him in my everyday life? Do I give God the time that he's due to me for who I say that he is in my life? Because if you don't, then you're rejecting him daily in your lives, just like these people we read about today. So how would you show Jesus that you're not interested in him? Well, you'd show him you're not interested in him by being so consumed with everything you have to do in your daily life, doing other things that are outside of him or what he'd want you to do, reading other kind of things that he wouldn't want you to read, Watching all kinds of TV and reading all kinds of books, not paying any attention to him. Not spending any time with him every day, not getting into his word. And by these ways, you basically show God, I'm not interested in you. Because wherever you spend your time and whatever you spend your time doing is what you really love to do. And if you don't spend any time with God, talking to Him and listening to Him and reading His Word and just growing closer to Him, then you're really showing Him that you are just simply not interested. The things that you decide to do in your life, your hobbies, things you decide to do in all your life, We'll either show God that you're interested in him or show God that you're not. I wear a wedding band on my left hand. Why do I wear a wedding band on my left hand? Because I would never want to hide the love I have for my wife from anybody. I would always want to show everybody that I love my wife and that I'm married. A wonderful 18 years. So in your life, if you say you love Jesus, but never mention him, or you never talk about him, how much do you really love him? Because we'll only talk about, and we'll only reveal, and we'll only show, and we'll only discuss the things that are very important to us. But if you don't ever talk to people about Jesus, or you don't ever talk about Jesus to anybody, or you don't show anybody that you love Jesus and you use his name, then really, you don't really love him at all. You're too busy talking about sports or the weather or whatever in the world you find busy enough to do for yourself in this life other than represent the one who died to pay the sin penalty for you on the cross. I ask you to think about these questions so that you can see where you're at with Christ. Many believe themselves to be good with God. But the Bible says, 
in Matthew chapter 7 that they are wrong. Do you believe yourself to be righteous? Or do you realize that you're a sinner? Do you think you're well? Or do you realize you're sick? Matthew chapter 7 says that many will be deceived. Many will come to Christ at the end of days when they die and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done you know, some things for you? And, and he says to them, I never knew you. You who practice iniquity, you practice unrighteousness, you didn't ever really, really do the things that I wanted you to do. And we know that that's good works. God said he loves good works, good works for the kingdom. But we also know by biblically that God is a God of relationship. That God wants your life. He wants you talking to him often. We know that God wants you spending time in his word listening to him. But if you'd say right now, I'm, I'm righteous, Pastor Ed. I, I think I'm kind of righteous. I, I'd ask you this. I challenge you with this. Have you ever lied? <clears throat> Because if you have, that makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen? Because if you've ever stolen, that makes you a thief. Have you ever lusted for another human being? And that makes you one that practices sexual immorality. Do you have idols in your life? Now, whoa, wait a minute, Ed. Wait a minute, Pastor Ed. I, I don't have any idols. I, I, I love Jesus. I only have the Bible. Do you know the Bible can even be an idol? If you worship the Bible and not the Creator who made the Bible. The things you love or talk about or do, or don't talk to and spend time with Jesus, they can be idols. These things you do and talk about, but don't bother with Jesus, are idols. And you are guilty of breaking the first two commandments, by the way. God says in the first two commandments in Exodus, He says, You shall have no other gods before me. That was one of them. Another one was, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now listen to what He says. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is jealous for you and your time. And you will spend your time doing in this life whatever it is you love. How much time do you spend with Jesus and how much time do you spend about His business? Because if you spend your time in life so consumed with things that aren't of God, then they are idols to you people. They are idols to you. To you. And you're not following Jesus. You're following the things in life that have got you hooked every day, that have got you keeping you back from spending time with God. They're idols, folks. They're idols. Or would you say now, well, you know, after you're talking like that, Pastor, I, I realize I'm a sinner. Or maybe you even knew I'm a sinner before I started all that, and you just knew I'm a sinner. I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm not right. Well, if God just convicted you with the things that I said, and the Holy Spirit just convicted you, or, you know, you just knew that, listening to those things, I, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. I know that I, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep making idols for myself in my life. The TV and, and my car or, or my job or, or whatever it is that you find yourself that you think about right now, that's an idol to me. I serve that idol. 
I don't really serve Jesus. I serve the idol. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus. You know, I, you know, I read the word once in a while. Yeah, you know, yeah, I talk to him every now and again. He's not your Lord. He's not your God. Because if he's your God and he's your Lord, then you serve him. And you're busy about the things that he said. And if you realize, I'm not right with God. I'm a sinner. And I am convicted. Now, what do I do? Well, what did Jesus say he wanted from you in our scripture today? Because Jesus is walking right here along right now. And he's looking at every one of us. And he's saying, you, hey you, hey you, hey you, come, follow me. Repent, you, you, and you, and you, whoever you may be, and follow me. I want to call you out of that life. Don't have those idols. God is a jealous God. He wants you to spend time with Him. He wants you to stop fooling around and messing around in this world. Come, follow me. He's calling you to repentance, if you hear this right now, and you're convicted. I know I'm not right. He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you back. Come on, my son, my daughter. I love you, but you're so consumed with the things of this world, you don't have time for me. Come, just like he told Matthew today. Come, sinner. You're always going to be a sinner, but you can be a redeemed sinner. Just like when I've heard people tell me, I'm an alcoholic. And I say, wow, you're an alcoholic. No, I, I mean, I'm an alcoholic. I don't practice that anymore, but you know, I never forget that I am an alcoholic. Because if I ever forget that I'm an alcoholic, I might forget and start go back to drinking. So I'm always an alcoholic, but I'm a non-practicing alcoholic. Something along those lines. You can be a sinner, but you can be a redeemed sinner. Cry out to God and fall before Jesus because he's walking by you right now. Because he's saying, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for your acceptance to sinners. Thank you so much for your love for those that aren't right with you. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, that you came for people like me. Sinners, unworthy, unworthy. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you say, come, follow me. Those that are here, come. Start following Christ. He's calling you out of the sinful lifestyle that you're in. He's calling you out of the idolatrous lifestyle that you're in. And he's saying, come. Come and follow me. God, I pray that everybody that's convicted by this message would stop their idolatry. And they would come and follow Jesus. And stop living for self. And start living for Christ. I know this message, Lord, is going to go out to many Americans. And Lord, here in America, we got idols on top of idols on top of idols on top of idols. Our money says, in God we trust, but Lord, we know it's not you. It's the God of the world. It's Satan. It's money. It's all-consuming Satan, all-consuming money. I pray, Lord God, that it would be you. It would be really you. Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider, God, our almighty God. 
I pray that people would stop living for the idolatrous things that they live for in this world and realize that you're saying, come, follow me, Lord God. And I pray right now that you would convict many through this message and that they would stop and come and follow you and stop living for themselves and come and live for Christ. Because, Lord God, your word says today that you did not come for the righteous, but for the sinner. Lord, anybody that thinks they're righteous listening to this message, Lord, I pray that you would cut them in half spiritually, Lord. Break them. Because they got to realize that they think they're righteous, that you're not, you didn't come for them. You didn't come for the righteous person because they think they're going to stand before you on their righteous deeds and they're going to get to heaven that way. But your word says, Lord, that Jesus, you said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. I pray everybody listening would realize I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And then you say, come. And I pray they'd all turn to Christ and repent and come and follow Jesus. And I ask these things, all these things, dear God in heaven, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.